I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Hello everyone. Thank you all so much for coming out on a horrible night, to be honest, isn't it? I wasn't surprised that you all still wanted to come though. Thank you all very much for being here. We're all really excited to hear Nicole Flattery talk about Nothing Special, um, published by Bloomsbury. Thank you to everyone that helped make this evening possible. And to Claire Louise Bennett, who is here to have a conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think I speak before you because I'm interviewing you, Nicole. Yeah, you speak. Is that all right? You go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm just going to get into it really straight away because there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> you said that very sternly. <laughs> Did I really? Yeah. I thought I just said it sort of slowly. I have a tendency to talk too fast. All right, I'll get it right. It'll take a few minutes perhaps. Um, there is a lot to talk about, so I want to congratulate you on the book. Oh, thank you. Um, I enjoyed it a great deal. Um, it feels quite distinct. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I was going to make the extraordinary observation that there are many books about at the moment. But <laughs> 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 well, there are. <laughs> um, and, and this one I did feel was, was distinct for a, a number of reasons, um, which we will go into. I remember um, coming across your writing for the first time. I remember it specifically. I was in my flat, which was quite new to me at the time, in Galway in 2015. And I was reading a copy of The Stinging Fly. Um, and there was an essay in it called Dancing on Your Keep. And it was by a woman called Nicole Flattery, who I didn't know. Uh, and I, I read the piece and I absolutely loved it. I really enjoyed it a great deal um, because it was very funny. It was very alive. And again, there was something very distinct about it. And I got quite excited by it. And I contacted Declan Mead at the time, the editor of uh, Stinging Fly and the editor at Stinging Fly Press. And I said to him, who's that then? Because this is good. <laughs> and he said, oh, you know, Nicole Flatter. No, he said it much more enthusiastically than that, Nicole. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I know him. I don't think he did. <laughs> I know, I exactly. Know. <laughs> I know him too. But, no, you know, they might not know him. Let's pretend. Um, and then I contacted you. I tried to through Facebook or something that I was on at the time. I don't know whether you ever got that, did you? I did, I did. Oh, you just ignored me. That's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. I ignore you. I'd never contacted anybody before, and I haven't since. But there was something about it that really, really struck me. And in that piece, I mentioned that piece, because in that piece, you uh, it's an essay, as I mentioned. So it's a personal essay. Um, and it describes an experience that you had where going over to New York, left Dublin, um, and were working for an assistant to a literary agent mm -hmm. in New York. Yeah. It's a very, very good piece. Is it online anywhere? Yeah, it online, is. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. And I reread it, um, obviously, because reading this particular book made me think of, of that essay yeah. because Nicole's new book takes place in New York and it follows the experiences of a young typist. 
uh, but at a very different time mm -hmm. and in a very, well, not a very different environment, but it's Warhol's factory. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose what I was wondering then is, did it ever cross your mind to extend that essay mm -hmm. and to write a novel that was based on your own direct experience of being in New York yeah. and working as an intern? Yeah. Or did you always know that you were going to explore that area um, in this different context of the 1960s and Warhol? Yeah. Or did you ever think you might just work on that? I. That's a great question. I actually hadn't thought about that essay. And now that you've brought it up, I'm like, oh, it is connected. Really? You hadn't thought of no, it? I hadn't thought. I tend to block out bad experiences. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, that's over now. Um, but I worked for this woman, and she never really came in a whole lot. Um, and if you think of, if you think about it in the context of the book, she was sort of this unseen presence, right. the same way that Warhol is like an unseen kind of, but like very powerful presence. Um, and I'm quite interested in, in, in that and um, how kind of power shows itself, you know, which mm -hmm. is often quite hidden, um, never fully present or you, you never see the very powerful person, you know. Um, but yeah, that's probably where that idea really came from. I think you've cracked it. <laughs> right, I'm yeah. off. <laughs> We're done. Um, I never thought about writing any more about it though, because I felt like with the stories, I really explored every single aspect of work. Well, no, because I wrote another book about work, but no, I, I felt like I explored every kind of aspect of my own experience. So I wanted to try and do something different in, in, in this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, in many ways, all the seeds were there. Yeah. In yeah, terms yeah. of that feeling of there was nothing for you mm. in Dublin yeah, and wanting something to happen, mm -hmm. which is very much the case here with this young woman, mm -hmm. May, um, who's still at school, yeah. but she's just dying for something yeah. to happen, mm -hmm. right? And that's something that um, I think we, we probably all experience yeah, very intensely. Yeah, yeah. And right. yeah, well, May is a teenager and things, and she definitely wants something to happen to, you know, have some idea about her self-confirmed, you know, in the world. But I, I think we still all experience that at various stages of our of our lives, you know. Experience um, what? Like wanting something to happen, right. like you know, profound boredom. Um, I haven't passed it. <laughs> I don't know if you have. Maybe you've. Well, every every now and again. Yeah, every now and again. Yeah, you just want something that will yeah. just turn everything upside down. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe we're impulsive, though. <laughs> Me and you? Or, yeah. yeah. Well, I think no, I'm not. <laughs> How dare you? Um, but I think yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is that sense where she's dying for something to happen, and she's dying for, um, and it's that it's that um, time also where sure you're kind of dying for life to come and grab you yeah, and yeah. shake you. But at the same time, of course, you're kind of clueless mm -hmm. and vulnerable yeah. and taking ideas from, from all kinds of mm -hmm. places. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's that idea then, I guess, of, of the runaway mm -hmm. that's so prominent. And that's why I, I did relate it to your book. And also in your book, there's, um, in your essay, your, your essay from eight years ago, there is mention of um, your mother. Mm -hmm. And I found that very interesting. There's a description of Nicole's mum as being someone who was working in an office. Mm -hmm. And there's this lovely description of you being able to hear her in the mornings and the sound of her cosmetics mm -hmm. moving on the counter and her heels across the, the hardwood floor. Mm -hmm. And you say that sound was um, very exciting. Mm -hmm. Like, what is that? excitement what is I understood immediately mm. yeah. what you were getting at but what like what is that I think it's just the the idea when you're a child or like a young woman you're listening to someone else going out into the world in a way that you're not fully able to yes you know right. like you're not able to access that world um and I just thought that was something I wanted to do like the the fact that my my mother worked when I was very young um and she's not like the mother in the book, um, but she, um, it, it made me want to be part of that world. And, and work took on this weird kind of, you know, kind of concept in my head. And then when I, I struggled with it when I was in my 20s in a way that like, well, we had a bad recession in Ireland and things. Um, and, you know, work was just very difficult for everyone. Um, 
when I couldn't access that, I found it just just hard. Like, did you know what you wanted to be? Or no, no, I didn't want to be anything. Right. That was <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That's it. You know, like yeah. I didn't really have any specific yeah. goals, or it was sort of aimless in in one way. But I had a lot of ambition, just For directed what? everywhere. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Desire Experience. Yeah. 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 And so you took yourself off to yeah. to New York, and I took myself off. To Ireland because you just get a ton of questions right about yeah. what what you're doing and yeah. you don't know how to answer them yeah, yeah and it gets kind of tiresome. It does. It gets very tiresome. So the mother um, in this book has a quite a prominent role. I mean, she's mm. there from the beginning, right? Mm. Um, as mothers are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and did you know she was always going to have such a such a, big a key role? Yeah. Did you always know? That yes. Yes, I did think I. I, I I'm not, it was, it's, I wrote this novel after writing a collection of short stories and I'm not a big planner. I've, I learned that. I don't plan out anything. Some days I'd sit down and maybe you're the same. Like I would completely surprise myself for what, what happened. Um, but once I started thinking about it and I was thinking a lot about Warhol's mother as well and the, kind of her influence on his life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think in all my fiction and, and certainly in all the fiction I enjoy as well, there is that mother-daughter like, I know we're both fans of Tove, Dickinson, and that kind of, you know, relationship that I just think there's so much to to explore. Um, and I'm always, yeah. I think yeah, in that way, actually, it did remind me a bit of uh, Lynn Tillman's book, Haunted Houses. Did yes, you read it, that? Yes, I have. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's mm-hmm. three narratives, three different uh, narratives, three following three women. As they make that transition from being mm. girls into young women, and I guess what's interesting about that, and it's something I, I guess you could apply to this novel, is that um, there's something happening culturally that's really sort of exciting. So late, what, mid, mid-60s, yeah, I yeah. guess, right? And it's in New York, and everything's kind of sort of changing, mm-hmm. right? And becoming just very, I don't know, expressive. People are expressing themselves in ways, and playing with identity and stuff like that. But at the same time, you've got cultural sort of change and influence. You also have your personal memories and your personal history and your mother mm-hmm. and what your mother is as a woman. Yeah, yeah. And it, she's so critical of her mother, mm-hmm. but she's observing everything. And it's similar situation in Tillman's book where the characters are so conscious of their mothers and not wanting to be like their yeah, mothers yeah. but knowing very well they are really yeah. like their mothers you know and it's that that constant mm-hmm. kind of push and pull yeah. um so there's that conflict I suppose yeah and yeah. that's why that's why it seems to me that she has to get away do you think it is do you think it is important for for young women just to get away from their mothers Gosh, I hope there's no young women and their mothers here tonight. Um, I um, I think in like, it's just, uh, we were talking about the time period and things, and like I think the 60s was actually like a very interesting time for the idea of being a young person. And I really wanted to think about that because I think we all have this kind of cinematic view of what the 60s was and, you know, how, how fun it would have been. But what I feel like it would have been you would have felt so much pressure to right. to partake in freedom and you know excitement and and, and things like that. Um, so I was I was thinking about the pressure May is putting on herself to be part of this like countercultural movement. Right. Um, and then yeah, I was saying like you know I think you always want to particularly as a teenager like want to escape the life that you know seems predestined for you. You know, um, and that's something that May is definitely like grasping at, you know, uh, throughout. Uh, do, I don't know if daughters always have to escape their mothers. <laughs> it sounds like they're chasing them. Um, but maybe it helps. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we haven't, we haven't said too much about um, Andy Warhol, mm-hmm. which, is, which is kind of interesting. What I, what I enjoyed about it really is that, as you said, it's, it's from May's perspective. Yeah. And we all have ideas about mm-hmm. the 60s and Warhol. Well, actually, when I think about it, it's one of, he's one of those people where you think, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Andy Warhol. But then I think, well, I don't, what do I know about him? Not, yeah. not a great deal, actually. Um, and you don't, you don't give us um, 
in big sort of descriptions mm-hmm. and there's not much in the way of scene setting. No. Um, so that, that's obviously a deliberate choice. That was intentional, yeah. yeah. And what I was, was going on there? Uh, well, I think that I've been told I'm very restrained um, <laughs> in the novel. But I was very conscious of and what I really wanted to avoid was just cliche. Um, right. Like I said, like I didn't want to go into that like cinematic view of the 60s in New York and, you know, Austin Powers, like whatever, like Jefferson Airplane, like, you know, the montage. Like I just wanted deliberately did not want to do that. Um, I wanted to think about like what their like day to day experience of be- being under that kind of influence would, would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I read all these books and, and thought about him like a lot and a lot of his ideas are in the book, but I didn't want him to be this this huge presence in the book because right. it's overpowering. It would overpower yeah, the he's book, not. You know. yeah, he's yeah. not really. Yeah. I don't know when he's first mentioned, but it, it's a good way into yeah, it. Yeah. And he, it's almost in passing, yeah. really. But it's as if, you know, she she is the star of this story, yeah, right? Yeah. She's the heroine. Yeah. Um, so tell me about then the research you yeah. did yeah. and I did. What, what kind of directed it and so on. Um, so I did like a lot of research, like a year's worth maybe, uh-huh. like nine months to a year before I started writing it. And then I was like, mm, I don't know if I've done enough. And then I was like, I am really putting off writing the book by just kind of going around looking at different Warhol paintings um, that aren't very helpful. <laughs> right. I, uh, so I just read a lot. I read a lot of books um, about that time and him. So um, what drew you to that in the first place then? What, what drew me to the to Warhol? Yeah. I just was really interested, before I was interested in Warhol, I was interested in the idea of typing up something. Like, and this is very, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way when you, you write, a, write a book or whatever, or do anything kind of like make a film or, you know, it feels very personal to you. And then for someone to come along and to put their name on the on the cover. Like, she has no, it's not a revelation, it doesn't ruin the book. Um, there's no trace of her, no. apart from, like, you know, the, the punctuation errors and whatnot. In the in the book, there's there's no evidence that she could so have So this was a book that was compiled yeah. from transcripts yeah, that yeah. were made of tapes that, that Andy Warhol made mm-hmm. over, what, a period of a couple of years mm-hmm. in the factory. Yeah, yeah. Period, yeah, two years. Two was years. it two? Yeah, yeah. What's the name of that book? I can't remember. A, A, and it's called A, a novel. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy it. I know you can. I haven't. I saw it was there. Okay. It's quite hard to read. Is it quite? Why yeah. is that? Um, I just, it's, it's, it's too many voices. Actually, Lynn Tillman, interestingly, coming back up, uh, described it like as an opera. It's like right. easier if you think of it as like a piece of music. Yeah. And then there's a lot of voices. A lot of voices. There's a lot of characters yeah. coming through out. Yeah. Um, and May kind of hones in on, on one in particular. Yeah, Onady. Onady. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking about this, you know. And there were four of them, right? Four typists, was it? Four. Yeah. Two unknowns. Did they get paid? They didn't get paid well, I imagine. Right, that sounds about right. But it? I do think one of them did sell a painting uh, for quite a bit of money. Oh, really? Yeah. And she then says, May says at a certain point, kind of near at the end, so she's been doing this for quite some time, transcribing the tape, so she goes up to the silver factory. Was yeah. it called that? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, and yeah. It's, Anyway, she puts on the headphones, she listens to the tapes, and she's transcribing. And then she starts saying that she's a writer. Yeah. She, she, she truly believes she is a writer, yeah. Why do you say it like that? Do you not think she is a writer? Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Um, you always bring the interesting questions. <laughs> um I Yeah, I think she is a writer. Like and that is the kind of but then you know there's the other side of it where it's like she's not a writer. She's just less, like she's just eavesdropping. She's just like, you know, taking other things. Lots people. of people do that. Yeah. And write books. Do you think that is a do you think it's People a, always say to me, "Oh, do you listen to people's conversations and write them down?" And I say, "No, I don't. I don't yeah. actually." I know, I don't think you. But a lot of people would. do. Yeah, I don't yeah. well, I'm not big on dialogue, but I use the odd bit. Yeah. Um but with transcribing thing, I guess I'm curious about that the way she says that she's a writer because mm-hmm. then I was thinking about the style mm-hmm. of the book. Mm-hmm. We've already mentioned that there isn't a great deal of these 
expected descriptions. Mm. Um, but there is a lot of attention sort of paid. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I thought, well, this is almost kind of like a transcribing, mm -hmm. in the sense that I feel the narrator of this book, May, is just trying to get it down. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And almost, it's almost like a record of the fact that she was there. Right. You know? um, which I think, you know, at the end of the book, she's like, you know, history's forgotten her, you know? Like, she's not the, an important character in anyone's lives and any, you know, history of the factory or whatever. It's like she wasn't there. So the idea that, like, she is finally there in, in this book is, was something that drove it a bit. And then when she gets the book... Yeah. Because it's pub it's published. Mm -hmm. How how much later is it published after they've? I think it's like a, it's like a year. Oh, yeah. It's over a year after they've. Been yeah, published. it's not it's not too long then. Yeah. So she and she no. goes out and buys it. She's not yeah. even given a copy. She just goes to a bookstore, right? And yeah. She buys it, and her name's not on it. There's no indication of her mm -hmm. involvement in it. Yeah. And she she looks through it, and so it's half your transcription and half uh, Shelley's, right? Yeah. And she reads through it, and she's a bit disappointed, really, that there isn't more of a trace of her yeah. in it. Mm -hmm. I found that very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, yeah. How much of a trace of you do you think is in this? Oh, um, yes. Interesting. I, with the stories, the story collection, so the story was, were all sudden, with the exception of maybe one, I think, in Ireland, and... You know, they're all young women in their 20s um, doing various things that she shouldn't be doing. Um, and everyone asked me about that as if they were all me. No, but I don't mean to say, yeah. did these things happen to you? <laughs> they definitely did not. No, I in know In either that. book. I know, no, I know that. <laughs> I don't mean that in that sense. Yeah. I mean, a trace of you in the sense of, like, emotion yeah, or perspective. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Like, occasionally, like, beneath the prose, I kind of detected almost like shimmering snakeskin anger. Mm -hmm. yeah. would, that, would that be yours? I, I think so. I mean, were you ever angry when you were writing? <laughs> I'm often angry when I'm writing. No. Are you? <laughs> Tell me about I that. I think that the, the idea that, like, well, that May would be angry when she's writing this book is like a, a true one because, you know, she's being ignored. She has the, the anger of someone who, who feels that. And that she probably, like, it's in there, you know, it's... But I'm saying, did you feel angry? <laughs> no, I didn't feel angry. Ever? I angry at my own book. About what you were writing about is yeah. this woman, young woman, who is having a kind of a shit time. Mm -hmm. She's been sort of ignored. She hasn't got that many options open to her. Did you ever... I mean, do you, do, what do you feel like when you're writing then? Maybe I'm asking you that. What do you feel like? Do you, do you just feel very calm? <laughs> or do you get emotionally involved? No, I definitely get very emotionally involved. And like even towards the end of this, I felt like quite upset. Did you? At the idea of it, yeah. I, thought, I found it like an upsetting idea that, the, that you could dedicate your life to... That's not upsetting. It happens all the time. But you could dedicate your life to something or part of your life, you know, like she gives a lot of her energy creative energy, her time to this project that has, like, nothing of her left in it. And I think that is something to be kind of angry about, you know? For sure. Um, and we see it, like, you know, it's not a new... It's, it's an idea we're having to become more used to. Like, I'm sure people have gone to watch films they've written or directed and they've sat in the audience and not recognised the finished product, you know? Like, I, I think this happens often, you know? Th you, you have an idea and then... Things, creative forces come and change everything beyond recognition. Um, and that is, there is no way you can't be angry about that. Sure thing. Yeah. Did you have to change much? Did I change much? Yeah. I'm like, no. Did you not? <laughs> no. <laughs> and isn't work just like that kind of generally? Do you think work is anger making? Yeah. Yeah. What about work do you think is anger making? Well, I'm asking you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm asking you. Um, well, it's, we, there's this quote again. Um, I think you were maybe quoting George Saunders, mm -hmm. who said something about what it costs you in terms of personal grace. Yeah. Like working. Mm -hmm. and, you, and he asked the question, like, how much does it cost mm -hmm. you? And the answer you give in the essay is a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Do you feel, and you feel that then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I certainly have felt that. What in, about in the job that you're doing now? In, <laughs> as, a, as a writer? <laughs> you're trying to have me killed. <laughs> I can walk out of here and be like... <laughs> Days. You said um, I could ask you anything. Yeah, I did. I did say that. I'm a very nosy person. <laughs> what do you want me to ask you? What's your writing routine, Nicole? What, what time do you get up? Do you use pen or? Do you use a pen or a pencil? Um, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, what, no, do, no, no. What it feels like to be you when you're? Yeah. <laughs> and I want to know. Does do I ever feel angry in in the as a writer? What yeah. the cost is? What is the cost you personally being a writer? Personally, yeah. Does it cost you in terms of personal grace? I think so. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think it costs every writer in terms of personal grace. You compromise. You know, you you think about how the public will receive your work. You think about the market. You do. You know. You you, you read reviews. Like all of this is embarrassing. You do things like this. Yeah. You do, like everything. Everything. <laughs> Uh, daily is undignified. <laughs> no, um, it's undignified. <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't hate it enough yet to give up. Um, how do how do you feel? Does it does it make you angry? Everything makes me angry. <laughs> Very angry person. I'm working on that. Yeah. Well, on and off I am. Yeah. When it goes, I get really bored. <laughs> Jesus, where's my anger gone? Well, I actually, I think anger is a great force. Like, I think it's a great force for, for writing. You? Yeah, I do. I do really. Like, one of the, the first stories in, the, in my collection, uh, it's called Shoulder a Good Time, and it's about mm. um, a girl working the petrol station, and the petrol station isn't real. And she, you know, she's dead there because they had these schemes in Ireland, which were kind of jobs bridge schemes where you brought in to do a job that, you know, when you were just, like, put on the dole and things it was very cruel and like heartless and like just a extremely poor way to treat people um and i just kind of take that took that to the absurd third degree and i was like what if you were brought in to do a job that just didn't exist and you had to stand there for eight or nine hours and i, I wrote about this specifically because it made me angry yeah and right. like i think that you know you can't deny anger it's 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 a it's a good thing yeah. an angry woman is Brilliant. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So you, uh, yeah, you've written a lot about about work. Yeah. And I think constantly I've written about work. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's one of the things that interested me mm, from the beginning. Mm. I want to ask you about the word ugly mm -hmm. because it comes up really frequently. Yeah. In nothing special, like a lot. I really noticed it. And to the point where I thought, will I go back now and, and count? And then I thought, no, don't do that. It's sufficient to say <laughs> it's in there a lot. You don't have to say it was there 96 times. It might be there 96 Could times. Could be. So what, what's the story with that? What is, because it's there so often, it takes on a different me a, a meaning, mm -hmm. a quite a strong meaning, rather yeah. than just denoting something sort of unattractive or... Mm -hmm. Am I right? I yeah, mean, yeah, no, you're totally right. Like, I feel like I use, maybe I, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna check the word dog when I go back to see how many times do, I use do. it. I'll let you know. Um, but I, I think it, I think of it as like a positive thing. Like, I, I, like, I don't, I think things should be generally uglier. Like, I, I don't like this like smoothness in 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 fiction. I think like things should have a bit of friction and be sort of. A little, I like things that are like a little horrible, or not horrible, but certainly unusual. Do you know, like like ugly feelings, like anger or, okay. or cruelty, or I don't know why we would deny those things um, when we write deviations and yeah, anomalies yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Because it it seemed to suggest, yeah, almost some sort of like par a new paradigm almost. Mm -hmm. And then when may sort of. Nails what it is that on Ondine, is that how you say his yeah. name? Yeah, that Ondine has. She said she talks about this, he's willing to be ugly, mm -hmm. she says. Yeah, and being ugly is cutting through the shit. Mm -hmm. That's what she that's how she describes it. Yeah. Now, that wasn't until later, that came page 127. I remember that because mm -hmm. it this word kept coming up, and I was thinking, well, she's getting at something, and then. And then it was that. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. There mm -hmm. is a sense of it, yeah, cutting through convention. Yeah. Cutting through expectation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, behaving in a way that isn't, like, 
normally accepted or or unusual in a, but honest you know like, like truthful um, which is something that I, I, I quite admired about Anadine and, and when I, I read about him I don't I don't believe like ugliness is like something to be frightened of or something to be to step away from you know I, I was just a, I hate in fiction when you read a book and every single person they walked in and they were gorgeous you know I was, were they were they really okay like I just just don't enjoy it um, I like it's the same I like to see like in film and stuff like I like to see like an unusual face like an like a non-ugly but like a not what I believe but yeah like it's something different eccentricity maybe I should have used eccentricity I, I no, worry about my it's very, no yeah. no eccentricity is a very different thing mm. altogether has very different connotations um, so what we're getting in these tapes then in, in the transcripts and then in the book are these quite uncomfortable almost interrogations that occurred mm -hmm. can you tell us a bit about what went on there yeah yeah, yeah. okay Um, so a, a novel is basically Warhol followed his people around with a tape recorder for, it was meant to be 24 hours, but it ran over um, because they couldn't get Anadine to come back and finish. Who were his people? What does that mean? His, like, superstars. like His entourage. Yeah, his entourage, like Edie and um, others. And, um, yeah, so then just there, like, it was very, like, you know, In the beginning, the project was meant to be, you know, like I said, 24 hours, and he would follow them, and they'd be in taxis, they'd be in, you know, uh, in the factory, in a nightclub, like, you know, and it was meant to be how people, like, spoke to each other and things like that. But as kind of time went on, Anadine wouldn't come back to record the tapes, and things began to, as they do, when something is, like, successful, and, you know, people are looking at it, and it's getting a lot of publicity, things began to change, um, And, you know, Warhol became bigger, became a different kind of figure. Um, there was certainly, like, more competition within the people that were there to be his... What was he getting at? Because those mm. tapes, they're very intrusive, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, and it seems like certainly maybe towards the end of it, people were getting kind of a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So what, what was he after? What was his... I think he just wanted to record reality... Unmediated. That that was his sort of fascination. He wanted to get this is like the to get everything down, everything that someone said, you know, particularly someone like Anadine because he believed him to be so interesting. But the problem was these were all these people were always high. They were always like you know saying stuff they like probably shouldn't have been in situations that were uncomfortable. But I mean, it was hardly like a safe zone mm. or a, um, an environment yeah. for people to. Um, I mean, it, it was a place where there were, I don't know, a ton of drugs. They were very vulnerable. Um, and he, from what I can gather, he did kind of pick people up and drop them. Yeah. Would that be right? I mean... Yeah, I would say that's correct. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't, like, very much, I suppose, support or compassion. You know, it, it didn't seem like he was particularly interested in them. Yeah. Actually, it's, it's, there's no humanity there. I think, I think in the early days... Um, Like I said, with Anadine and with maybe Edie said, like, I feel that there was friendship. Right. And, like, certainly, like, a creative partnership. And the, the way things always are when things are, are small and before kind of yeah, right. everyone starts looking at you and, you know, you get too famous or whatever. But And then I think that the kind of Warhol image that we're all most familiar with is, like, from the 80s when he just is photographed with everyone yeah. and anyone. And it looks, it's very dead-eyed. It's very... Um, robotic. That's uh, after he shot, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's that was the big change. That was the yeah. Shift. Yeah. yeah, but I do think that in the beginning, um, I do think that it was sort of like in a in a utopian way that becomes the opposite. But it was like them hanging out and making films and making art and things like and things like that with your friends, and then everything changed. But I guess you know, I'm curious because mm. I went to see the uh, Alice Neal exhibition yesterday. Mm. And it's, she, in her own way, right? Yeah. Have you seen it? Yes, yeah, it's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really strong. And in her own way, she's documenting mm -hmm. people in New York around a similar yeah, time, yeah. in Spanish Harlem, in the Bowery, mm -hmm. and she's painting them. And there is so much humanity there yeah. in her depictions of people. Mm -hmm. And these are just, you know, you might describe them as, I suppose, outsiders, freaks, whatever, mm. uh, people on the fringes. 
And I thought, wow, well, that's a really different way of approaching it, isn't it? She's, she's giving people who are overlooked um, space. She's depicting them. She's showing them. Mm-hmm. It's a very different way yeah. from how Andy Warhol yeah, yeah. showed people, mm-hmm. you know? And, of course, she was very politically engaged. Yeah. I don't get the sense that he was particularly, wasn't interested. I don't think so. Like, I think he would, like, you know, openly say that he wasn't, that he wasn't super political. Um, then again, like, you know, it was a big, like, I feel like the factory was a home for, or like a refuge for a lot of people right. that were like, you know, not accepted by society at the time. But I do also believe he was like rampantly ambitious. And, yeah. and like ambition is a huge part of the book. Um, I really was thinking about ambition all of the time when I was writing this, like ambition versus failure and, you know, certainly in my, my own life and things as well, but I think that the ambition overrode everything, you know? Like wow. I think he, yeah. okay. what he wanted, I, I, I imagine even surprised him. Um, you should read us some. I should right now. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> What do you think? No? Um, If not now, then when? Exactly, exactly, (laughs) of course. Um, Okay, I'll read from the beginning. Um, And I will read a little bit of the first chapter, which is actually actually set in 2010. There's no Warhol in this. Um, And as people have noted, there's no Warhol in in a lot of it. A short time after I had been told to stop emailing the publishing company and life had resumed in its normal manner, I received in the post. I received a book in the post. It was, of course, the farm book. The world seems to know instinctively when you're about to give up on it. There was no note. I don't know if it was done to appease me or out of kindness. I pictured the assistant, a double of my younger self, smuggling it out of the office, bravely paying for the postage herself. Either way, the gesture touched me. I sent the book to my mother and she called. We had spoken a number of times since Mikey had died, her voice down the phone, a familiar poison. Neither of us had taken his death well. Time afterwards for me was patchy, impossible. I couldn't conduct normal interactions, watch movies, pay attention to the news. What on earth was everyone in the world talking about? We were a comfort to each other then. It was a way of keeping Mikey alive. By 1996, when I sent the farm book, she had been sober for over a decade and was relearning her place in life. The past had tortured her enough. She was looking forward to the future. I understood that. I visited her in New York. We had some good times. We were both more relaxed. Our tempers had dampened with age. I couldn't work myself into the furies I used to. Many of her comments had lost their sting after she had quit drinking. She'd lost her venomous touch. I'm not as catty as I used to be now I don't have customers to practice on, she said. One day after she moved to the retirement village, I saw the farm book on her bedside table. She had brought it with her. When I pointed it out, she said something dismissive. That was just her. My mother was never capable of real real cruelty. Everything I'd mistaken for cruelty had been disappointment, heightened emotion with no release, a desire for human contact she wasn't getting. I had no idea what true cruelty was then, but I learned. That's a good pit to read, isn't it? Well, yeah. Now you're going to have to. Now you're going to have to say, what was the true cruelty? True cruelty that she learned. Yeah. Well, I think as the time goes on, and not to discourage any buyers that want to know what the true cruelty was, um, she learns, you know, like we were talking about, like to to kind of, and it's interesting because I feel like it's only gotten more heightened um, in the in the last two decades. Like, a, you know. Celebrity in Warhol is sort of a, a fascination every so often. And I think I've written one, actually. Someone will write a piece about, you know, Warhol invented the celebrity and things. But right. how, you know, with reality TV and things, how people are, like, plucked out and, you know, put on TV and, and, and told to behave in, the, in a certain way. And, you know, then their lives are ruined. We see this all the time. It happens every every week, you know. And I think Warhol did it first. I think he put them on, on screen and... And in situations that they probably grew to like deeply regret, um, mm. and in the pursuit of fame, or, but yeah. also, I mean, it's not just that people are being sort of put on shows. People are quite sort of willing, willingly, to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
divulging all sorts of information. Yeah. Like moment by moment, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About their day to day lives. And, you know, that's all right because I suppose there's always been that mm-hmm. uh, impulse. Yeah. Right from the confessions, right? Mm hmm. To document and narrate and and so on, but I just guess the tools have have altered mm-hmm. hugely. It's certainly intensified, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it doesn't seem so much now that we narrate our lives, rather I don't know, curate them almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's very, yeah. It's not. It's very fake. Like it's very dishonest. I think in a way that I think he would have avoided. I think that was his interest, like, you know, to see it how it actually kind of was. You mean he was interested in authenticity? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Andy Warhol was interested. I think so. You think so? In, in the beginning, yeah, yeah. And then as time went on, less so. Yeah. Yeah. That's a funny notion, I think. Mm. Well, my mind finds that a strange notion to a degree. Um, and how do you feel about... How do you manage all that kind of stuff then? What kind of stuff? Well, I suppose... A personal, a, a, a public profile and all of that kind of a thing. I don't ever think I have a public profile until I do one of these. And then I'm like, oh, there are people. <laughs> They are looking at me. Um, I don't ever think about it. Do you, ever, do you think about like, being a public figure? Well, you know, I'm aware that there's stuff accumulating on the internet. Yeah. And I don't have much control over that. Yeah, that is frightening, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of frightening. Yeah. I think it... I think that is something that I, I like. I'm very interested in exploring, and I've actually, you know, if you're looking at like themes or whatever, um, I feel like that is something that comes up again and again. The, the story collection that comes up here, like clearly, it's just like the public self versus like the private self, because the public self right now seems so huge. Like you know, someone can present themselves in such a certain way online and. You know, we see that constantly, mm. but we have no access to like that. Private. But then I wonder. I was thinking recently. You know, I I was thinking perhaps that the unconscious, I suppose, as as Freud conceptualized it, is probably nearly extinct at this stage. <laughs> that's a big. That's a big. <laughs> no, really. Yeah. Because the unconscious thrives on secrets. Yeah. Well. If you're telling everybody everything all the time. Yeah. I actually, I think... I think you like secrets. I was just going to say, I think this book is all about secrets. And I feel, I think, I feel like secrets are very precious. And Why? Because they are your life. And you shouldn't give up your secrets very easily. Some people think secrets are a ter- terrible thing. No. I don't, I don't think they are either. No. I think they're very important. I think we should all confess our secrets. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> Well, you see, I cultivate some occasionally, just yeah. just to throw my unconscious a bone, because I'm just scared. <laughs> I'm scared it's going to diminish. It's going to disappear. No, I do, I do. And I was thinking about like how secrets, even in the in the end of the, the book, once again, not a spoiler. You know, she's she's working somewhere else and things. Her life in the factory, or whatever. It's not something she divulges easily. You know, I think that I think in order to retain a sense of self, you have to hold on to your secrets. Um, so that kind of con- confessional um, online stuff, I, I, I don't really get it. Like, you know, I like I see these articles all the time, and there's stuff like I don't fancy my boyfriend, and like I don't like I want to kill my boss. Like it's just like such so weird. Like and it's like kind of kept that to yourself. But like, is it not more? Is it not more interesting to keep it to yourself? And sometimes I know. Well, it's to supposed be to be, li- you know, liberating. And yeah, I don't find it a liberating. Liberating for who, though? Like, that's the question. Like, who is, like, making money off your secrets? Well, I, I like, guess it... Psychoanalysis. <laughs> well, it used to be, didn't it? That was the whole point yeah. of, you know, you talk things out. and yeah. you, don't think, you don't think talking about things kind of... I don't I'm really so. revealing myself to be Irish now. No, I don't think talking about things is like a few. Well, I... I Some people get really dreadful advice. I'm one of those people. Do you? Yeah, yeah, too. Don't ask me for advice, Louise. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure about about secrets, but the idea of pre- presenting everything, like putting everything on film or putting everything on Instagram, like I, that frightens me. I, I, I don't think that's a that's a good route to to go down. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think privacy is extremely. Yeah. 
important. Mm -hmm. And I love the sensation of actually doing something or being somewhere or with someone and nobody else knows. Yeah, yeah. And nobody really needs to know. Yeah, I love that too. It's really nice. Mm -hmm. Like, why? I don't understand giving that away. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and I loved, I thought what was interesting too, what you, what you capture, um, there is such a, such a pertinent aspect of that, of that age. What age is she? Kind of like... 17. She's 17. She turned That's the big age, isn't it? That's yeah, the key age. That's the big age. Um... It's the age of Lucy Honeychurch course in a room with a view. Oh, yes. So it's that yeah. real, it's that real, it's a really exciting, tough, yeah. incredible age. And she's really picking up on um, the other women around mm -hmm. her, her colleagues. She, and she notices everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and you do, and it reminded me of that, you know. You really kind of watch them and, and study them. Even the little tiny things mm -hmm. that they do or don't do. Yeah. You know, the way they might fold a napkin or smoke a cigarette or... To the extent then that there's almost this sort of blurring. And she said, oh, it wouldn't have surprised me if I had turned up to work one day as Shelley and she turned up as me. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a thing. Yeah. And um, that reminded me very much. I don't know whether you've seen this movie. It's a really good Robert Altman movie. I was just told three women. Three women. Yeah, oh, yeah, really? Yeah. So yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful movie. That's. How did you do that, Claire? <laughs> how did you know? You read my mind. I have no secrets around you. Um, I, it's a great film. Yeah. It's wonderful film. Yeah, it's yeah. one of his better ones. Mm. It's, it's uh, Shelley Duval. Yeah. And Janice Winter, is it? And um, Spissy's Basic. Spissy's Basic. And that was based on Persona, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and some dreams that he had. So it has that honoric quality. It has that very dreamlike, you know, and they do, they kind of become, I think that is a very, like this book is a friendship book as well. And certainly like teenage girls' friendships are one that I've been in. Like, you know, you start to mirror each other. You start to blur into each other, I think. Yeah. Like sometimes if you're very close, Um, and I, I really wanted to, to look at that um, and kind of and think about that. Um, yeah, and I I, I, I think I did. Um, but yeah, th Three Women, is, was, I was thinking about that as well, and the sort of dreamlike aspect of, of Three Women. Um, yeah. yeah. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So, yeah, quest some questions for Nicole. You can ask me anything. <laughs> I'm not very open, <laughs> as, you, as you've just learned. Hi, there's a line at the start, close to the start of the book, um, 
that I kind of remembered and it stuck out to me a lot and it was you think you can change yeah and I kind of felt like a lot of the book was about change and Mm -hmm. realizing the limits of change and you spoke a little bit there about ambition but can you talk a little bit more about like the way the book relates to like limitations and personal limitations because that felt to me like one of the themes yeah thank you and thank you for reading the book someone's already read it um thank you um that's such a good question and like I really feel because there's so much kind of happening in the book you know the the Warhol aspect is slightly overpowering and it's in the 60s and the kind of class aspect of it isn't really being looked at um but you know maybe it's from like you know certainly she just goes to a normal school she comes into this kind of like world where they, they these you know these heiresses and extremely pri- like a lot of privilege like a lot of art circles and things and and it surprises her that that she can't move into it that the, the transition isn't seamless for her um and it's not the idea that you know you can't change like i think you personally can change um and you should try <laughs> maybe <laughs> but i feel that like that kind of moving beyond your your background and things sometimes there, there there's limitations and I, i think may encounters them in the, no, in the novel and shelly encounters them as well like i you know you like that's a stupid phrase but wherever you go like there you are and i was talking about this this recently when you when you try and do something like they both do in the novel like become this different type of person and they you know a city person they move and And they can't, they can't get back to, they can't go back to where they were before. Um, and that's sad too, because you're, you're somewhere in the middle, but you're not there and you're not, you're not there either. So I, I was thinking about, about that a lot. Um, so that, that's a really great question. That is an interesting yeah. aspect of it because it's, it is almost like, you know, its own testimony. And if you think about confessions, I suppose, traditionally of any, of any sort, mm-hmm. they're often charting some sort of journey or transition mm-hmm. and yet here you're not really sure that any transition has really been made yeah because there's leaps in time mm-hmm. right yeah and we get a bit from uh, may when she's older mm-hmm. but actually we don't get any sense of what she's doing now yeah. really mm-hmm. again it's very microscopic yeah it's the immediate kind of thing mm-hmm. she's doing in her house But there's so much, mm-hmm. the bigger details aren't really there. Yeah, yeah. And I found that was a really, really interesting choice. Mm-hmm. That there's this whole period of time that we just don't really know anything about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that just, again, sort of subverts the expectations yeah. that one would have of a certain kind of um, mode of writing, I suppose. Yeah, I think there's this idea that, you know, it's... I disagree with it, but, you know, a character like, the simpler thing would be like a character like May goes into the factory and she's, you know, everyone's like, actually, she's great. And like, she's really good at typing. And I I think she might be the most attractive one. And then she's like celebrated. And and, like, that's just, that's just a fantasy. Like, I feel like I, I quite like, well, I was like, I like fantasy and fiction, but I just like a certain fantasy where everything works out and. You go on this like hero's journey and things. It doesn't feel real to me. Um, so I, re- I specifically wanted to avoid that triumphant entry and she gets everything she wants because you know that's not life. You don't get everything you want. Um, so yeah, I was thinking about that. <laughs> Basically, you don't get everything you want. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you do. <laughs> yeah. Any any more questions? Um, in the passage you wrote out, Mikey was mentioned, and it struck me reading the, the book that uh, if Warhol was there in the background, uh, influence uncertain, Mikey, mm-hmm. very much the same, but a whole lot more influence. I wondered if you'd say a bit more about him. He yeah. struck me as the, you know, if not the, certainly a seminal figure yeah. in the book and very interesting Thank you. And these are great questions, guys. <laughs> I can't believe you've all read the book. Uh, Mikey is actually, I really enjoyed writing Mikey. And he's the character that surprised me consistently. Um, I was very interested in writing a father-like figure 
that isn't a father. Um, I was very interested in, in writing like a good man. You know, Mikey is like a, a decent, a decent person um, who has like a strong moral sense of maybe right and wrong and things. And hopefully not in an annoying way, but if, like, and he's like, you know, artsy and, and creative in his own way. And he, he takes her to these places and helps her discover things about herself and her interests and everything. So I, I really wanted to, to her to have that friendship. Like I wanted her, I, I write about like friendship, I think quite a bit um, in my stories and everything. And I, I really like um, writing male and, and female friendship and sort of unusual unusual friendships, um, which can develop. Um, I, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in doing that. He's a super that. character. He's a great character. Yeah. I really and their relationship him. is really, it's never creepy. Yeah, I know. Why Ever. would it be? Yeah. <laughs> well, because things are sometimes a bit creepy. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. No, he is, he is. And I, or I, in another writer's hands, you know, they yeah. might have had the necessity to make it creepy or something, yeah. and, you, and you don't do that. No, because I often feel I've like I've felt throughout my life that I've been very privileged to be friends with a lot of men that are you know great um, mm-hmm. or good, <laughs> and um, I, I really I, I I really like to, to to look at those things. I really wanted to avoid cliche in in, in that way mm. to bring someone on like that and to have him do the stereotypical thing would be so disappointing to me. Um, <clears throat> So, yeah, I feel like uh, I, I really wanted to... Mikey's good. He's, he's good. I can picture him very clearly in my mind, maybe more than like any other character I've written. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I'm going to try and ask a slightly clumsy question about both of your novels. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, both of your novels um, have these creative projects at the heart of them. Um, Tarquin Superbus, I'm thinking of yours, Claire Louise and a, a novel with yours, Nicole. And they both revolve around kind of fantasy and young women and the kind of the material realities they're trying to escape from. Um, but also kind of certain betrayals that revolve around the destruction of certain things too. Um, book burning, Claire Louise, uh, tapes being destroyed, um, which is a really long way of asking, are there similarities and kind of differences you see in both of your novels in terms of these kind of creative projects forming the heart of them, if that makes sense. Can you see much of each other in each other's novels? Oh, I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> do you mean you don't know? I don't know. <laughs> you must know. Um, that's interesting, though. It's not something I thought about, but it's true. Well, I, I, I thought about it. Mm. With reading this one particularly. Yeah. For sure, mm-hmm. um, there's certain yeah similarities between our protagonists. Um, not sure in terms of um, this reference you're making to a, a you know a creative project. I'm not I'm not sure. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> I see what you mean. Um, but I, yeah, I guess that's why I wondered whether or not you ever, you know, felt angry because I, I guess I was projecting a bit there because mm-hmm. at times I had felt angry when I was writing, which was sort of strange in a way. Well, it was a different sort of anger. It was a decent sort of anger. I mean, I've written before when I'm angry, yeah, yeah. but usually angry at someone yeah. and I'm really like pissed probably <laughs> and it's just dreadful <laughs> and I write a really you know, angry letter to so-and-so. <laughs> do you ever do that? I've never written an angry letter. I've written an angry email, several angry emails. Have you? Did you send them? Yeah, I did, yeah. I've you written, sent- I, do you know I've written the most angry emails to? Uh, Dublin City Council. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Well, I really? hope they're watching <laughs> or listening. Be, this must be quite recent. Yeah, yeah. You've, only, you've only just moved but up yeah, to Yeah, so I went to Dublin three years ago and they haven't stopped hearing from me. Um, so, yeah. You're like the character in this. You're like <laughs> Exa- these... I'm exactly like the Are character. You? No, I haven't sent as many as that. But How many have you sent? I've sent about four or five. Yeah. All on the same? On a different, a different. One of them was about a particular library. I'm revealing myself to be a crank now. I, I, need, to, I need to reel back and be mysterious. No, um, I have sent about the library 
uh, they closed one of the rooms and then they said the library couldn't, couldn't use it. And I was like, well, what's a city without a library? You know? Very good. Yeah. I did, I did write a letter to the British Embassy in Dublin. Saying what? Why have you closed down? <laughs> I need to get another fucking passport. What am I supposed to do? This is outrageous. I didn't send it. Yeah. I don't get email, obviously. I know you can email people, yeah, can't yeah. you? Yeah, I always write a snotty letter and then I fold it and put it in the back of a book and discover it years later. And I think, oh, Christ, thank God I didn't send that. I think the process of sending a letter would make me on would make me less angry. So you get the paper out, you sit down, and then you're writing it, and then you have to fold you, By the time you get to the post office, you'd be like, oh, nah, don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> Emails are much more effective. Emails effective. I think that what you were asking there about, like, what I find interesting in Checkout 19 is that, so Tarquin's Superbus is an invention of hers when she's young, like when a teenager? Right. Yeah. And no, he's not, though, actually. He's not. He comes okay. a bit later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But say, I'm What you're saying is probably still relevant, right? Yeah, yeah, I think, I hope so. Um, but I think that, like, you know, finding meaning in these kind of creative, they're both looking for meaning through these kind oh, of creative right. projects. Um, and, yeah, like, May gets, like, entirely obsessed with A in a way that, like, she should not, um, but in a way that you probably only can when it's being pumped into your ears, like, several hours a day, you know? Um, and she finds it, like, quite inescapable. Um, but, yeah... Did, yeah. Did Tarquin have a similar hold over you? No, yeah. I think what it was is that it was just an idea of literature. And I think um, I had sort of a you know very romantic idea of literature when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Really. Yeah. You know, based on things like Forster and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then that got complicated, I suppose, because then you realize. Well, see, when I was younger, I didn't particularly give a shit about. Um, class discrimination and stuff. Mm. I didn't when I was 17. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to, like, snog blokes and stuff. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, I didn't really care about... Yeah. So I was reading in order to discover things about, you know, love and desire. Yeah, and yeah. The fact that they were well off or privileged, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had a blind spot there. And it wasn't until later on that that then became sort of relevant. Mm -hmm. So I do have this slightly difficult relationship because I really love a costume drama, <laughs> you know, but I hate privilege. I know, I'm, always, I'm so yeah. anti-privilege. So I'll watch some yeah. nonsense, you know, and they're all gorgeous and they're doing yeah. these, and I'm watching it and afterwards I'm like, fucking <laughs> bastards <laughs> off with heads. And I've loved the whole thing, you know. <laughs> It's very difficult for me. I'm very difficult. I'm always surprised that you love costume drama. I love yeah. them. I knew, I knew that though, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we confess, we've confessed. Uh, we've to that costume. Guilty, job. guilty, yeah. Does anyone okay. have any, any questions? Hi, Nicole, how are you? Hi, Chris. Um, I haven't read the book yet, looking yeah. forward to it, but you mentioned being surprised by your mm -hmm. writing, so I'm interested in maybe what process is like to you. Mm -hmm. Is it that you're kind of starting with ideas or desires mm -hmm. that you then want to explore and it's quite like loose and you're mm -hmm. going on that journey? And also because this is your first novel, I'm interested, like, how did you find working with this sustained type of work compared to the more compact short, short yeah, stories? Yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I found it very difficult um, initially. And I actually wrote a lot that I didn't use. Um, I, I wrote, like, several chapters I, I, I got rid of. Um, it took me a long time to write into the book. Um, I'm not a first draft writer on anything, um, like all the stories would be, you know, 10 or 11 drafts. Um, I hate saying this. Once again, it really, you know, ruins the idea of me. <laughs> so I just sit down, I email Dublin City Council, I start writing my 12th draft. Um, no, I, um, I, so I do, it took me a long time. And because I have never written a novel, I had to go back and revise and, and think about things that I never had to to think about with the stories, which was like, does that make sense? Is this like, I considered that, um, is this like a part of the plot? Well, would they do this? Is like a natural, you know, lead into to one of the others. Continuity. Yes, yeah, like in, yeah. in a way that I had never had to with the stories. And then also the other tricky thing, and I don't know if, you, well, no, I, I don't know if this is fair to say, but I felt like I had to, my voice, the voice in the stories is like very strong, 
um, 10 to 15 pages of like, you know, quite a slippery narrator and things. And I had to, I felt like I had to tamper it, like, like tone it down slightly for the, for the novel. Um, I don't know if you'd read 240 pages of one of my stories. Maybe you would, but um, that was something I was, I was thinking about. Um, and then to take her on a sort of journey, she does go on. Um, then I, I, I felt that I, yeah, I'd had to, I had to make things just slightly quieter. Um, I don't know if you felt any different between Pawns and Checkout 19. Yeah, it was quite a lot to hold in your head, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sort of know where you are. Yeah. And stuff because it's not, it's not terribly sort of linear, but it's very nice too in the sense it's mm-hmm. very immersive. You're very immersive. Yeah. Feel quite howled by it, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I enjoyed that actually. Did you um, feel like you had a different process for both, or did you feel that you did similar? Well, I think it was very different. Mm-hmm. They felt like very di- different experiences. Mm-hmm. I felt very different. Mm-hmm. Writing, writing them. Felt like I had a different mind or something. Yeah, yeah. So I'm making another mind now. Yeah. Oh, so great. I can write another book. <laughs> you have to make. I have to make the mind for it first. It takes ages. It does. It does. Doesn't it? Yeah. Do you feel that way a bit? Yeah, I do feel that you have to write another book to kill the last book. Um, oh. Yeah, um, I'm like, I'm going to kill this book now. <laughs> because you feel you spend so much time talking about it and everything, and maybe you feel the same way that then you're very excited to talk about something new or do something different. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do think that it takes a little time to, like, move into the, the, next, into the next thing. And you do have to, like, yeah, think about different things, make a new mind, like, experience different stuff, mm-hmm. like... Be inspired by by other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all it's all. It's all and new. you have any inkling at all on what yeah. might be? You do. Yeah, yeah. I'm working on something new. Oh, very good. I say mysteriously. Now, <laughs> collection of something. Yeah. Oh, a collection. No, no, it's a novel. Oh, it's a novel. novel. Yeah, <laughs> project. Yeah. Yeah. All right then. Is that a good place to? Yeah. Wrap up. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.